okay, I'm getting teary. It's not fair, Martine. Make me confront my emotions. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Kidlet Craft Podcast. This season, we're taking a deep dive into Martine Levitt's YA novel, Buffalo Flats. Today, we're focusing on the main character, Rebecca's internal desire, the obstacles that get in the way, and what will happen if she doesn't get that desire. I'm Anne-Marie Stroman, and I write for children, picture books through YA, and I also write short stories for adults. Hi, I'm Erin Nuttall, and I write for kids. I write mostly YA and dabble a little bit in middle grade. On Kidlet Craft, we look at MetroTech to discover the mechanics of how writers do what they do so we can apply it to our own writing. As Anne-Marie mentioned, we're going to be looking at the craft of Martine Levitt's Buffalo Flats. It's a story about Rebecca who lives in the Northwest Territory of Canada in the 1890s. And her desire that she wants more than anything is her own land. That's her external desire anyway. Today we'll talk about her internal desire. Let's start with vocabulary, as we do every time. Erin, what do you mean when you say internal desire? So internal desire is the change that we look for in character. Frequently, the character doesn't know that they need this. In Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton needs to become a better person by learning to be humble and realize that he doesn't know everything. <laughs> uh, the main character may or may not realize, and like I said, Hamilton did not realize that he needed to take this internal journey, but on occasion, they do realize it. And in Buffalo Flats, Rebecca is consciously trying to be a better person by learning to, as she puts it, love the people of the world. So how is that different from external desire? External desire is usually what people think about when we talk about desire. It's the tangible, visible thing that the main character wants. So the musical theater's I want song. In the musical Hamilton, my shot is Alexander Hamilton's want song, where he declares that his external desire is to have a shot at helping to free his new country. And then side note, to become famous while doing so. <laughs> And Rebecca, as I mentioned before, her external desire is to have a piece of land of her own. Just like external desires, the internal desire can't be easily accomplished. And if Rebecca were already a compassionate and loving person, there would be nowhere for her to go. And if she went from being selfish and quarrelous to loving overnight, the reader won't believe she changed or that she needed to do so. In the best stories, at some point, the external desire and the internal desire should come in conflict with one another. It could be conflict that is throughout the story. In Hamilton, the more successful Alexander Hamilton becomes, the more arrogant he becomes. And so he has these two desires that are fighting against one another. Or it could be like in Buffalo Flats, where Rebecca's desires frequently work together as she works hard to try to earn the money to buy her land she is becoming a better person, <laughs> but she has one point where her true desires clash and she has to make a decision. So we've talked about external desire, internal desire, and conflict, three great vocabulary terms for our craft study. And we have two others that we mentioned last time, but let's refresh here. Obstacles and stakes. Tell us about those. So obstacles are the things that get in the way of the desires, and they could be different obstacles for each desire, and they could also be the same obstacle for both desires. And stakes are what will be lost if the desire is not achieved. 
And lastly, remind us about tension. Why is that a good thing to have in a story and what is it? We talked about this quite a bit in, in the last episode, episode four, but tension is where the author butts up the desire with the inability to get the desire. And there should be many tension points between these ideas throughout the story. And we talked last time too about how oftentimes the reader is the one who feels the tension. Right. And, you know, will they get out of the cave before the water floods in, right? That creates a lot of tension in the reader. Right. So those obstacles and the stakes and the desire, the three work together to create the tension for the reader. So let's focus on Rebecca's internal desire. You mentioned that this is a journey of change, right? Of character change. So who is Rebecca at the beginning and who is she at the end? In the beginning, Rebecca is really great. She is very self-aware, but probably her main difficulty is being judgmental. And she is judgmental of herself, just like she is of other people. And I read this in an earlier episode, but I think it's worth repeating. She figured she might be able to love the world or at least the general idea of it if she didn't have to love people in, in particular. And people were always unhappily surprising her by being just like her, scared sometimes, selfish sometimes, tired and lazy and thoughtless and uncertain. And so Rebecca is applying those not so great character traits to both herself but also to the people in general. So that's where she is at the beginning. By the time we get to the end, Rebecca has grown a lot and she is easier on herself and she is easier on other people. And she has to make decisions, which I think is, is key to this journey that allow her to grow. And she could choose to just not do these things, but she, over and over chooses. And even though she fails a lot, she still makes progress. We were talking about this earlier and I just think it's interesting to point out, um, characters don't always recognize their internal growth. And by don't always, I should say most of the time. <laughs> so it's really interesting to have this character who has an external desire that is clear and vocalized to herself and others and an internal desire that is clear and is vocalized to herself. It makes for an interesting way to tell a story, I think. Just like with external desires, there are obstacles and stakes with internal desires. So tell us about Rebecca, what keeps her from becoming who God wanted her to be? The biggest part is being judgmental. So that's a really big Thing. And we see it throughout the story as Rebecca interacts with others and as she judges herself. And one of those is her envy of Rodonna Beck, who is a girl her age, who's in the community, and they both have a shared crush on Levi. And they both want his attention and they both get his attention. He, <laughs> he goes back and forth between them. And so... Rodonna is a lot of things that Rebecca sees in herself and she judges Rodonna harshly for it. And then additionally, Rebecca sets up a measuring stick of perfection in her mother and her best friend, LaRue. And she sets it up right from the beginning, page four. Um, she says she could never be as good as her best friend, LaRue or her mother. And this is the bar that she compares herself to. And when she looks at them, she sees how far she has to go 
There are a bunch of others. Rebecca is far from perfect, but those are big ones that I wanted to talk about today. And we see her failing to love people over and over in this book as well, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what about stakes? What are the consequences if she doesn't reach this goal? So the stakes are kind of interesting because they are also very internal. Rebecca is generally a good person. She is not a perfect person. She doesn't love people the way she thinks God wants her to. But in general, she could continue on her life as she is forever and and just be who she is and not make any changes. But she has this self-imposed goal to be the person that she believes God wants her to be. And that his visit in the opening scene, his visit with her implied that he thinks that she can be. And so in some ways, it's kind of an arbitrary goal because it's self-imposed. But in other ways, knowing and understanding Rebecca's deep belief in God and her deep desire to have this relationship with him and in order to have that relationship with him, to be able to be like him, that is a huge stake. Yeah, and that belief really motivates her throughout the story as well. It does really motivate her. Let's look at how she goes about trying to reach this goal. What does she do to become more like the person God wants her to be? What does she do to try to love people? And I'm assuming we're going to see her fail. Oh, yes, for sure. Well, so she fails right away in the first chapter. She's going to take her mother as her model and behave like a lady, just like her mother does. And then only speak kind and gracious things. And maybe 30 seconds after she sets that goal, (laughs) she fails at it and has to speak her mind and, and tell her father and her brothers what she's thinking. A really cute, I thought was cute, it endeared me to Rebecca, is when she goes to church and she wants to talk to Levi. He's her crush, but she decided that she would take an example from Mother and LaRue and, quote, visit with the sisters who might need a word of kindness. And then she does what I think is really interesting. She chose the most frightening of all, Sister Gladden, who had a palsy that caused her unceasingly to shake her head. So I get that that would be very frightening to Rebecca, but that's the person she chooses. She picks the hardest one, which I think is really cute. And Sister Gladden is really funny. And so I will just leave it at that. It's really funny, um, the conversation that they have. But Rebecca sees that she misjudged Sister Gladden and that she wasn't scary. So in some ways it was a success. But then... (laughs) (laughs) Then Rebecca looked for father to tell him she needn't go to church now for in discovering how wrong she'd been about sister Gladden's true nature. She had already had a sermon in how not to judge others. So (laughs) just skipped church. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, two steps forward, another step back. That's really important in a story that our characters are going to have some successes. If it's all failure, it starts feeling hopeless. Why are we reading this book? But if we have some successes and kind of balance those out with failures, like you said, one step forward, two steps back, maybe two steps forward, one step back. So we're making progress toward that journey. It is really important to have those successes. Oh, for sure. And I think that Martine does a good job with the failures in that often she sticks a little humor in there so that it helps soften 
the failure a little bit for the reader. So it isn't like all the time, right? (laughs) So tell us about another attempt. Um, Okay, so Rebecca and Rodonna, they're both interested in Levi. And because Rodonna is not particularly kind to Rebecca, Rebecca feels really justified in judging her. And she is kind of a thorn in her side in this attempt to love all people, like everyone. She she has set this goal to love everyone and she can't quite get to Rodonna. There is a really funny scene where they're at the fair or some kind of town party, I can't remember. And one of the little boys is selling caramel apples and Rebecca picks one, she picks a smaller one and it's a delicious caramel apple. And Rodonna is there. Rodonna, Rebecca and Levi are there and Rodonna picks the biggest looking apple and she takes a bite of it. And it was a joke, it was an onion. And, um, <laughs> and it's so funny that this little boy thought that that would be such a funny joke. And Rodonna is not happy. And Rebecca takes a little bit of glee in that. And so here again, we have another funny episode, but it's also an episode where Rebecca is thinking Rodonna is getting her just desserts because Rodonna is pushing herself in between Rebecca and Levi. She's dominating the conversation. Rebecca suspects Rodonna sabotaged her picnic basket that that was supposed to be bid on by the bachelors of the community. So she takes a lot of glee in Rodonna's reaction to getting the onion. Honestly, I did a little bit too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it, I, I think Martine does a good job. You, she sets you up on Rebecca's side. You want Rebecca's lovely basket to be beautiful and have a high bid and you want Rodonna to step in cow manure, right? So yes, we like Rebecca find Rodonna's distress funny. Any other examples you want to tell us about? So this is a really a tight bit of storytelling that Martine does. And actually the whole book is really tight. Obviously we've mentioned that a lot of times, but this little piece of storytelling I really liked It's Rebecca's desire for her land that inspires her to help her mother in her midwifing because it will bring her profit and that can go towards buying her land. But slowly, those experiences make a change inside Rebecca. And so it's difficult in her first time all she does is like clean the house, <laughs> clean the already clean house. <laughs> Cause she's there with her mother and her mother's doing everything. And Rebecca's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but she gets a chicken out of it. So that inspires her to keep doing it. And she tends to focus on this material aspect of the midwifery rather than the personal aspect of delivering a baby. But then she has to deliver a baby on her own. Her mom's at another delivery and it's far away. There is no doctor. There are no women, other women close enough at hand. And so it's left up to Rebecca to help LaRue's mom. It says, while Sister Fletcher nursed her baby, Rebecca washed up. The whole time she was thinking that she was different now. Yes, different. Or maybe it was that she had forgotten some part of herself or why she had been who she was. And all because she had seen that baby come away from her mother and breathe. And so we have this experience that is a clear movement of Rebecca from here to there towards being a better person. She is now thinking about this mother and this baby 
and not necessarily about are they going to give her a chicken or or some or some cheese or whatever that w- will help her in her endeavor for her land. And because this internal desire is one that she's conscious of, we get this lovely reflection of her recognizing that change in herself. She does, yes. And so that again is another thing because frequently if the character doesn't recognize that they need to make this change, it's all left up to the reader to recognize it. So maybe that is why Martine, this is just off the cuff here. Maybe Martine decided to have Rebecca be aware of this internal change so that she can have these reflections because so much of this book is her internal thoughts and dialogue with herself. And it might be more difficult to have that recognition for the reader if Rebecca herself doesn't recognize it. I like to try to figure out why Martine does what she does. And I feel like if I can do that, I will be better at what I am trying to do. <laughs> yeah. And I think it, it can be really tricky, this aspect of self-awareness in character. Rebecca has a lot of self-awareness. I have a character who has like quite a bit of self-awareness and I've actually had comments in, you know, critiques about having too much self-awareness not being accurate for teens. But I think some teens are very self-aware. Oh, for sure. Some teens aren't, but that's a decision when you're writing YA to figure out what level of self-awareness your character has. Well, and I do have a manuscript where I have a character who is very not self-aware. And I try to use that for um, humor (laughs) so that the reader is aware and he is not as aware. But it is tricky to figure out how to do this internal desire line, this internal journey when he is so oblivious to so much. But also, I think that is accurate. I think the teens run the gamut of self-awareness and in different arenas, too. Like, I will say, Rebecca is not very self-aware in the boys' department, but she is self-aware in other ways. Yeah, so I think that's an interesting thought to think about. How and where is my character self-aware? So you've mentioned the bar that Rebecca sets for herself with this internal desire, Mother and LaRue, their perfection, meeting with God and having that be kind of a motivating factor. Does that idealization or very high standard that she sets for herself, does that change during the course of the novel? There are definitely some changes and we'll talk more in depth about them in the later episode. But Mother and LaRue turn out to not be perfect. They're not totally who she thinks they are. And that is a step on her internal journey as she recognizes that perfection may not be the actual goal, that perfection may not be possible. (laughs) But the other part that you mentioned was her visit with God, which inspired this idea that she needed to become a better person. And you get that like in the first scene of the book, she has an actual visit with the actual God of the universe. That is important groundwork that Martine laid. And it's important for Rebecca because like you said, this is a desire that she is really working hard for. And it's also a really difficult desire to reach, but she accepts it because she has this love of God and she feels his love for her and his love for the land, which she also loves, as we know. It's interesting that she just accepts it full sale 
and just starts working on it and wants to be that person until some grief, some really terrible, her, um, her baby nephew dies at birth and she was the one who delivered him. And it was just that chapter that it is just so moving. And I, as you may know, I'm not a crier. (laughs) (laughs) That chapter did make me cry. It's just, it's so, it's so touching. Anyway, so Rebecca pushes back. She pushes back on God a little bit, uh, a lot, really. And it's an interesting piece of her journey. It says, Rebecca wondered if Kincaid, that's what they named the little baby, wondered if Kincaid would be a bit resentful upon entering the gates of heaven, saying, it was brief, Lord. She stood walking among the tombstones and then returned to sit down next to her baby nephew. Kincaid Lovett, the tombstone said, in the year of his death, that was all. He had come to get a tombstone out of life and to cause exquisite grief. She thought that the dust beneath her was whispering something she didn't want to hear. If she saw God again, she would tell him all of this. He would likely know, but he wouldn't mind her telling him anyway. He was like that. She would tell and tell and tell until she was done telling. That, she suspected, was part of what eternity was for. So she still loves God. She still feels his love for her, but she has a thing or two to talk to him about. That chapter is really fantastic. And it might be my favorite chapter in the whole book. But because of Rebecca's struggle, she struggles with what happened. She struggles with her role in it. She struggles with God's role in it. And she struggles with what that means for who she's trying to become. Let's connect this internal desire that we've been talking about with what we talked about last week, the external desire. And you mentioned when we were talking about vocabulary that often those two things come into conflict with Hamilton, they're in conflict all the time. And in Buffalo Flats, there's kind of a moment where Rebecca has to choose between her external desire and her internal desire, the land and loving people. So how does that conflict show up? So it shows up in a couple of ways. In the first really clear way is that Rebecca has finally earned her money Yay! And she's going to go buy her land the next day. But before she can do so, her family's house is swept away in a flash flood. And after the flood, the family gathers together and father tells them that he, mother and Rebecca will go back to Utah, back to the mines, because they just can't survive. They don't have another choice. They won't make it through the winter. But Rebecca says no. (laughs) She can't leave the land. And Through her mother's fast thinking and bravery, her mother saved Rebecca's enameled box full of money. And Rebecca chooses to use the money that was for her land to pay for a new home to be built and to supply it for the winter. So she is choosing to sacrifice her dream of her own land so that her parents and family can all stay there in the Northwest Territories and they can stay together. I think it would have been easy for Martine to end it right there and be like, yay, she did it. But she gives her more. She gives her more growth. It's not the end of Rebecca's internal journey. She still has difficulties judging people, especially with Rodonna. And a terrible sickness sweeps through the area. For weeks, Rebecca goes from house to house nursing the sick. And she's not doing this for money. 
she's doing this to help people. Martine could have ended it at that, <laughs> that she made this choice to sacrifice her days, her nights, her possible health to nurse these people who she found annoying, but she doesn't leave it there. She gives Rebecca more opportunity to grow. Rebecca says, for some, nothing could be done. The life in them unspooled, backward they went from strong to helpless, backward from stoic courage to childlike whimpering and no control of their bowels, backward to blind infancy, backward to blue and breathless, just like a newborn out of the womb. So we know how difficult it is. We can come back to that sentence if we want and talk about the structure and how beautiful and amazing it is, but I wanna move on because this is the environment where she is. And this is the description of the dying. The first time it happened, death to one of the people she was nursing. The first time it happened, Rebecca folded Sister Wixom in her arms and sang to her and held her until she was gone. Sister, she said when the woman stopped breathing, sister, sister. She rode to mother and told her that Sister Wixom had died in her very arms. And when she had said Sister Wixom, when she said the word sister, she meant it. Oh, she meant it. Okay, I'm getting teary. It's not fair, Martine. Make me confront my emotions. <laughs> From saying that people were annoying and that she couldn't love them on an individual level in the beginning of her journey to this point, where she's in this terrible environment where people are being their very most difficult and yet she is there and she's calling her sister and she means it. So Martine could have left it there, <laughs> but she didn't because we still have Rebecca and Radana. Later, Rebecca is nursing the Fletchers, which is LaRue's family and it's a big family and they're all very sick. Just when Rebecca thought she would perish from exhaustion, Rodana shows up to help her nurse. And together they work side by side. Together, Rebecca and Rodana worked. Rodana sang to the little boys and rocked them in her arms. Rebecca thought she had never seen Rodana so beautiful, but she wouldn't tell her so. <laughs> so still a little bit of humor there. When they had a few moments, Rebecca said, I wish to be friends now, Rodana. Rodana said, we shall, but anyway, we're more than friends. We are sisters. And so we are, Rebecca said. So she gives them that lovely moment. And we've already learned about how Rebecca feels about that word sister now. And now she and Radana can extend it to each other. Just very interesting that it's sacrifice, service, and work with her enemy that push Rebecca's final changes in her internal journey. Yeah, and thinking about re resolution and the resolution of the book and the end of the journey, showing us examples of that change in action is a super important part of it. And Martine's shown it to us at a lot of different levels in a lot of these different relationships. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, I just find it really good writing, <laughs> the best way I could say it, to have it not end earlier than it does. I will be honest, I read Rebecca giving up her money and I thought, oh, this is the end of her internal journey. You know, I read that and I thought, oh yeah, this is it. She sacrificed for her family, good job. But wouldn't we all sacrifice for our family or at least a lot of us, right? It's not as hard to sacrifice for people that we love. And so Martine doesn't leave Rebecca there. She makes her sacrifice for people at their hardest 
people who she doesn't naturally love. That sacrifice, that service does lead to her loving them. It's just really excellent storytelling. What are you taking away from today into your own writing? Oh, that's a hard question because there's so much. I really, really enjoyed that journey that Rebecca went on, her internal journey, more so even than her land, I think. And I think that in writing, we are tempted to really focus on that external journey, which is great. It's super important. We don't want to not have one. But we or I frequently leave off the internal journey or give it short shrift. And Martina saying, no, 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 make it the best part. (laughs) So I think that's the biggest thing that I'm going to take away from this. I need to more fully develop my character through an internal journey. What about you? I have three little takeaways, which I think will make a huge impact. One of them is to think about the level of self-awareness that my character has and what areas they're self-aware and what areas they're not. I might do just a little writing exercise, some free writing about that, and just think about all the different aspects of their life and write down what they know and what they don't know about their own perception of the world. And then I want to think more about where the internal and external desires conflict. Right now I have kind of one conflict near the end where it shows up, but it might be good to have that be in conflict more or to be conscious of how that internal and external desire are working together. The Hamilton versus Buffalo Flats version of things. And then I want to think about the resolution. Right now I think I have the one time that shows a change from the internal journey. And I think I might need more. So I want to look at that as well. I think that that is really smart. And I want to say to people who are like, but my story's so long already. This is not a long book. (laughs) She does it. She has that layer upon layer upon layer of Rebecca's growth. And it's just in a few short pages. So you can do it. You you, Anne-Marie can do it. You listeners can do it. Hopefully I can do it. Erin, what one beautiful sentence did you choose for us today? Well, I know Rebecca and Rodonna become sisters, but I thought it would be fun to look at Rebecca's glee after Rodonna eats a bite of the carameled onion. And just to set it up, I'm going to read a little bit before the beautiful sentence. With a squeal, she spit it out, she being Rodonna. What the hell? She slapped her hand over her mouth and looked at Levi looking at her and Rebecca couldn't tell which one was more surprised. Okay, so that is Radonna's reaction. It's not the ladylike portrayal that Radonna liked to give herself. Rebecca knew she would always have that moment in her memory, preserved like bright berries in a glass jar. Radonna spitting and cursing and realizing that she had just spit and cursed in front of Levi. It is beautiful but it's not the typical beautiful that I like to quote. I love the juxtaposition of the bright berries in a glass jar and then Rodonna's misbehavior. (laughs) Well, and the the great simile there, preserved like berries in a glass jar, and then also the repetitive structure there, Rodonna spitting and cursing and realizing she had just spit and cursed in front of Levi. She could have said, and just done that, in front of Levi, but repeating that spit and cursed just emphasizes how horrible it is for Radonna and how Rebecca is 
reveling in that horror. Oh, yes. Rebecca's glee in the sentence just makes it shine. That is it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can find more content like this at kidlitcraft.com. Find us on social media at kidlitcraft. And you can support this podcast on Patreon. We'll be sending out Kidlit Craft stickers to the first 20 subscribers. We've also got t-shirts. Woo-hoo! You can find Kidlit Craft t-shirts at Cotton Bureau. Just go to Cotton Bureau and search for Kidlit Craft. And we'll also have a link in the show notes. Please download episodes, a like, rate, review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and let your writer friends know about the podcast. We can't wait to nerd out with you. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.